got your Bibles, we're in the book of Hebrews. We are in verses 4 to 14. Uh, that he's better than angels. If you were with us a couple weekends ago when we introduced Hebrews, we gave, I think it was, four major themes that you find in the book. In the early chapters, one of the, the biggest themes, in fact, it's the theme he starts with, is the superiority of Christ, that Christ is all you need. In fact, in the first three verses, we've been looking that Christ uh, is far superior to the Old Testament revelation of God through the prophets because Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. He's Far better. As we pick up here in verse 4 now, he begins to talk about angels. So I'll read out loud if you'll follow along verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, have hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed, but you are the same. And your ears, years will not come to an end. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Now, one of the things that you have to understand, again, we keep coming back to this, there's a very definite Jewish background Old Testament background to the book of Hebrews. And what, what is significant is that angels held a very prominent place in Judaism, right? It, angels were very important. In fact, a couple of things, real quickly, try to run through some of these. We've got a lot to cover today, is there's actually, we, we don't think about this. I, in fact, I, was, I even kind of wrestled with this, but it's, it's really true, it, is that angels held this this prominent place and part of it was the giving of the law we don't think of the giving of law through angels but when Stephen is making his defense in Acts chapter 7 to the Pharisees he says you who received the law as ordained by angels Paul picks up on that same idea in Galatians chapter 3 why the law then it was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels isn't that unique. But then you even go back to Deuteronomy. So as Moses is now coming to the end of his life and he looks back at Sinai and the actual giving of the law, Moses said the Lord came from Sinai and he came from the midst of 10,000 angels, his holy ones. So in Jewish thought, the idea was the angels, as they were ones who often spoke to the prophets and brought the vision to the prophets, they were considered being a part of actually giving the law. And so they were very important. And then you think about how they interacted with the fathers, right? Abraham, 
had interaction with angels. Jacob had interaction with angels. And you can, Joshua, when he leads the children of Israel in, had that there, and I think it's Joshua 4, Joshua 5, as he's going up to Jericho. Angels just held this very prominent place. I was thinking of something. I can't prove it. I'll put Todd on this. Maybe Todd can prove this. But it was interesting to me when you think about the book of Matthew, which is specifically written to Jewish people to show that Jesus is the Messiah. What's the first thing you read in Matthew? An angel shows up to talk to, uh, to Joseph. That an angel talks to Joseph and says, you need to flee and go to Egypt, right? Jesus is it, uh, the temptation. And after the temptation, angel shows up. Who tells us that? Matthew. And then you get to the resurrection, and who's there? Angels. They held a very prominent place in, in Judaism. So what do we know about angels? I was thinking, you know, we've talked about them a couple times in the 27 years I've been here. Uh, but just if I could give you a real quick theology. And by the way, if you have any interest in studying, the best book I can recommend, it's an older book. But it's almost like a really simple down where everybody can understand theology of angels. It's called Angels, Elect and Evil by a guy by the name of C. Fred Dickinson. Um, and uh, he, he was actually my, my prof. I took angelology from him at Moody, uh, but it's kind of the classic work, angels, elect and in, uh, evil. First of all, angels are created. They are created. Now, I hate to burst bubbles in people's theology, but when you die, you do not become an angel. Right? I, no, no, no. That, for some, that's a shock. God created angels. And we see that in a few places. Psalm 145 puts it like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all the angels. Praise him all his hosts. And then he begins to, to all these people and things that he created should praise him. And then it comes back and says in verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. They were created. Now, the question is, when were they created? And we don't know. Uh, we would believe it wouldn't have happened before Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. But what we see in Job is that it says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So it seems like the angels, the sons of God, which is referenced there, would have been there maybe at the very first thing that he created. Now, why are they called sons of God? And that's really important because we're going to get to Jesus being called the son of God. And the reason is, is the angels don't procreate. It is a direct creation of God, right? So Jesus says when we get to heaven, we're going to be like the angels. We don't marry and give it in marriage. There's no procreation. God created them at the very beginning, he created them distinctly. And so as direct creations of God, they're considered plural, the sons of God. When angels were created, they were created holy. They were created righteous. But some rebelled. That's one we know, of course, we call him Satan. Uh, and there were other angels then that followed Satan in his rebellion. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 seems to imply that there would have been maybe even up to a third of the angels who now rebelled and went with Satan, and we call them demons. 
right? And they're at work, they, they're following, they are ministers of their leader, Satan, and, uh, and that's where you get them. What we read is the angels are ministering servants of God. They minister to God. Isaiah chapter 6, you got the, the cherubim and the seraphim who's, you know, about his throne. Holy, holy, holy. They minister to God's people. Um, often what you see is that they provide protection. You think of uh, Elisha and his servant. Remember there, was it 2 Kings 6, I think, where, uh, you know, the army of, of Syria comes against them and, and Elisha's servant is all upset. And he says, okay, God, let them see. And remember, he saw all across the hills, all the, all, all the angel force, right? And he understood that. Uh, and, and you get here, same thing, verse, verse 6 seems, to, or excuse me, verse 7 says, who makes his angels winds as ministers of flame of fire. You also see it then down in verse 14. Are, not all, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to, to render service? You also see it with Peter. Remember in the book of Acts, he's in prison. It was an angel that showed up in response to the prayers of the people to get Peter back out of the prison. So that's, it seems this idea that they... They are there to minister to us. Now, what's interesting is verse 14. And they, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So a lot of people think that, okay, uh, the, what that's talking about is that God knows those that are going to get saved. And so he sends his angels to minister to them. Let me push back on that just a little bit. Again, you've got to think with with. with the background of the Old Testament. When you and I ever see the word salvation, we always think justification. That's just our default, right? We have been saved, right? We have been justified in the sight of God. The word literally means deliverance or rescue. So even in the New Testament, it's sometimes it's talking about justification. At other times, it's talking about sanctification, that we are being saved. We are being delivered. Sometimes it talks about the future deliverance, right? Where sometimes we are awaiting our salvation. In the Old Testament, that future salvation. In the Old Testament, you don't see justification. What you see is that future deliverance when God is going to bring people in, you know, you think of uh, Daniel chapter 12, people will wake from the dead, right? And, and, and they'll come to life and they will now have that inheritance, that future salvation. And so when he says here in verse 14, rendering service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, I think what it's telling us is that that angels specifically minister to those who are followers of Jesus, who have come to faith in Christ, and, and God uses them, sometimes for protection, sometimes maybe for guidance in our life, because we are the ones who will one day inherit what God has brought us to. So the heart of what he is talking about here in this passage is that Jesus is far superior. He's far superior. And when you get into it, he uses seven Old Testament passages here, which are really unique. Uh, it's fun to go back. We're just going to, again, we're, we're really pushing the clock today. So I would encourage you, go, go take a look. There's, there's a lot there. What I'm going to try to do is give you the context of, of the Old Testament passages and, and, and how the author is bringing, bringing them up and bringing it all together. 
Uh, but what you need to understand is that the main point here is, is that as highly as esteemed as angels were in the Jewish culture, Jesus is far superior. I think the best way you can see his argument using these seven passages is he's making three points. And he starts every point with this idea for which of the angels did he say. So you see in verse 5, for which of the angels did he ever say. You see it again in verse 7, and of the angels he says. And then he pulls this back again in verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said. So there's this breakdown here of what, what he's going to do. So three main points that are going to push us towards that Jesus is far superior, far greater than angels. He's all you need. The first one we pick up here in verses 5 and 6 is this idea that Jesus is the son, not just a son, not just a creation of God, but he is the son of God. And by the way, angels worship him. There are three pa- Excuse me, three passages of scripture that he uses here. The first one is Psalm 2 7. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 is a royal psalm. It's about David, it's about his dynasty. But as you get into it, what you begin to understand that is that. It's not just simply about David and Solomon and what they're going to do. Because there are certain things that he talks about in Psalm 2 that weren't fulfilled to David and Solomon. So like a lot of the Psalms, it has kind of the present, but it has a future connotation as the son of David, who Jesus is, the Messiah is going to do. So you read, for instance, Psalm 2.6, but as for me, I have installed my king. It's a royal psalm. It's about David. But then you get to the verse now that he quotes. And oh, by the way, one other thing I should have mentioned. Some of the quotes here in Hebrews, when you go back to the Old Testament and you look at them in our Bible, they don't line up exactly. And the reason is ours is a direct translation from, the he, from, from Hebrew. The writer of Hebrews is actually mostly quoting from the Greek Septuagint. So it's already quoting from a translation. So it's like a translation of a translation, right? And so that's sometimes why it doesn't match up exactly why with what we have. So in verse 7, uh, in our Bible, what it will say, I will surely tell you of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Right, And so now Jesus takes this, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews takes this and he applies it to Christ. That this descendant of David is going to be known as the Son of God. Well, of course, you see the word, today I've begotten you. What does your mind think of? John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Oh, by the way, Greek Septuagint here come from the same root as what... John uses in John 3, 16. He is the son. Then he goes to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, Samuel is the story there in 2 Samuel 7. David wants to build a temple, right? And, And God says, no, you can't build it. You're a man of war, but your son will build it. But what we see is in this passage, you see both the present, 
but you also see a future peace. So for instance, in verses 12 and 13, when your days are complete, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you and who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. Who, who are we talking about there? Solomon, right? And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Is Solomon still reigning? No, it's not a trick question. You can say no. No. But I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What's that looking forward to? Messiah. That's why this became more of a, a messianic prophecy piece. And so in the very next verse, which is the one now the writer of Hebrews quotes, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Right? So he takes this first part out and he ties it now to Jesus. That Jesus is the son of God. The third passage is Psalm 97. And Psalm 97 is a, uh, it's a psalm about the future reign of the Messiah. Right? It starts out in verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. This is about that future reign of the kingdom. And what he does now in verse 7 is he takes this verse. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. The word there of course, little g, Elohim, plural. It had the idea of authorities. It could mean angels. Um, and how the Septuagint actually translates it is worship him, all you angels. So the idea here is, is he's getting this, that Jesus is far superior to the angels because the angels were created to worship him, but he was the one who is the son of God the only begotten of the Father. The second point that he begins to make now in Hebrews 1.7 is his idea that also Jesus is the eternal God. He's the creator of angels who, by the way, serve him. So again, a couple passages of scripture, Psalm 104. Psalm 104 which is maybe the hardest one to kind of look at because it, it's, it's the one that least uh, recognizable here. Um, angels are seen as messengers. So it says, he makes the winds his messengers. That's how it reads the New American Standard. Flaming fires. Now notice he makes, right? There's a creation piece here. There's a sending piece. There's a subordinate piece. And now he rolls into to Psalm 45, and Psalm 45 is a royal psalm thinking about the kingdom, thinking about David's kingdom. And he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. So the idea is that the angels were made, right? They were made to be ministers, but Jesus is God. There's a deity. There, there, there's a, an aspect here of eternality. In fact, he picks that up now in Psalm 102. And when you look at Psalm 102, uh, you, get the, uh, you get the idea because this whole psalm is addressed to God and his greatness. And now he posts this psalm that is addressed to God and he applies it to Jesus. Of you, of old, you founded the earth, the heavens and the works of your hands. Even they will perish, but you will endure. He's eternal. And all of them will wear out like a garment, 
like clothing and you will change them and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. So Jesus is far superior because he's the eternal God. He is the one who created the angels to act as his servants. His third argument now, you pick up down here in verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? And here you get to Psalm 101, or excuse me, 110. It's a messianic psalm. Uh, and it was always understood that way. And this is what he says. The Lord said to my Lord, right? You got that same idea. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then he comes back. Well, he never says that to angels. What does he say about angels? That they are ministers, right? So you have this idea that Jesus is Lord overall. He's the son Angels are ministers. He's the eternal God. Angels are ministers. He's Lord over all. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Angels are his, his, his servants. Jesus is all you need. Now, in the midst of all this, let me just back up, all right? I, I want to make sure you get this because it's kind of a very technical argument he's making. Most of us don't have the Old Testament references, you know, down like they would have understood. His point is this. Angels held a very prominent point in Judaism. They were considered as very important, right? Angels showed up. People listened. His point is, as great as you think they are, Jesus is far greater why? Because first of all, Jesus is the son. He's not a created being. He is the son. And angels actually worship him. Secondly, he is the eternal God. You know, the heavens fade and roll away and they're going to be discarded like a garment. But he is the same forever. And by the way, he made the angels to be his ministers of wind and fire. Thirdly, Jesus is seated at the right hand of do you notice that's the second time now he said this in this whole passage, right? It's back up, what, in verse, uh, verse 3? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He says it again. Jesus is Lord over all. He sits in that exalted place at the right hand of God, that place of power. Uh, uh, of power. Angels are his servants. Jesus is all you need. What, what a wonderful remembrance to us. Because, you know, in this day and age in which we live in, this, this you know, the new age, the, this, the age of spiritism, the age of looking for, uh, you know, new things and coming to new truth and trying to find new stuff, right? I don't even know where it showed up, but somehow on my, my Facebook feed, there's a guy, I don't remember, I think his name is Sid, anyway, but he, he, he's got all these videos of people who have, you know, had visions of what God's telling them or angels have showed up right the funny part was a lot of them happened back you know early 2020 uh, and stuff about election stuff and none of it happened the way they said it happened so I don't his, his you know but people man you could see by the t you know number of people that liked and people that, that followed and, and re they're, they're looking for we're looking for those those things that are are mystical and magical and and yet Jesus is all you need and I couldn't help but think of that scripture in Galatians 1. 
Because Galatians, remember, is a lot like what's happened in Hebrews. People who had an Old Testament background, they got saved, but now they're, they're being pulled back under the law. And remember what Paul said to them there. And even if we or an angel from heaven were to preach a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And yet, again, in our day and in our culture, in fact, I would remind you, you know where Mormonism came from? It came from a revelation of an angel. It's a different gospel. Paul says, let him be accursed. Jesus is all we need. He is far superior to the angels. The angels bow down and worship him. The angels do his bidding. Jesus is all you need. If you're here today and you're looking for that, that revelation of God, can I just tell you, Jesus is all you need. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. He is the one who displayed God's holiness. He is the one who displayed God's justice. He is the one who went and died for you. That's why there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. But can I also remind us who know Jesus, Jesus is all we need. We don't have to go looking for other knowledge or listening to the testimony of, of, you know, of angels. We have the testimony of Jesus. He's all you need. He is far superior. Far superior. 